Okay, we're hard on the trail of Trump going to fucking jail. How you guys doing? Shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. I'm gonna set up, uh, getting set up outside here again. It's just to be in my um, performance area today. So, yeah, welcome back to Politics AF. We are on the trail. What's on the trail? Hi, see School's in. Well, that was unladylike, as my mom would say. Still, Trump and they stormed the police station. What's, I mean, like, it's clickbait, I guess. What about Lardass? What about locking up Lardass? Uh, by the way, Comedy Central follows me, so, yeah, I must be doing something right. Sign from the universe, hey, you know. <laughs> somebody, somebody dug it in the comedy um, realm, which is pretty cool. How about locking up Lardass? About locking him up. Here's a letter. Let's see. Okay. I'm back in back. What's wrong, puppy dog?
Let's see what else. Political party. Ben Marcellus, uh, where's my touch? This is. Said Michael Cohen, makeup. Just said that's good enough. Now, how about. This is my oh shit. I forgot to put it back in black. <coughs> Whoopie. Rally with Bernie and Brandon Johnson for mayor. Nice. UIC form. The woke white dude. I'm always so amazed when I hear Americans say shit like healthcare is a privilege, not a right. Like, how do you reach a point in your life? Although hate crimes rose 12% in 2021, the FBI believes the numbers are higher because police across the country aren't reporting data. Yep. Yep. Shut it down, reform it all. This is from Your Rights Camp. Back in black! Here's a letter I prepared for you. You can tell them it's from a fan. Oh. You are police officers. You can lie to us. It's the law. Yeah, that's law. That's the law, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's a good idea to keep dividing people. <laughs>
Alright, so let's get back to it, just, uh, what's going on? What, what's with this Gwyneth Paltrow ski crash trial? Just curious, I just want a ski crash? What the fuck is a ski crash? Um, two hours? No, I do not want to spend two hours on that. Huh. Boris Johnson's mummified ancestor died from pathogen or the STD syphilis on civilized pedia. <laughs> Mars view perseverance. Oh. Takes a civil trial. identity trauma 20 years after U.S. invasion. This week marks 20 years since the U.S. invasion of Iraq, and many are still piecing together what PBS happened in, those days in the years that followed. NewsHour digital senior editor Yasmin Alamiri spoke to Sena Morani of the University of Plymouth in England about ruptured domesticity, a project that collects the memories and artifacts of Iraqis during the war, and how they held on to the concept of home. You headed up um, a, a multi-part project part of which is, is archiving these memories of the war for Iraqis who were living inside and outside the country during that time. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you decided to pursue this project and, and what came of it? Something that I really wanted to understand is what was happening across the country when Baghdad was getting bombarded during the 2003 invasion. I had no idea we were in Baghdad, but I did not know what was going on in Mosul, what was going on in Basra, what was going on elsewhere. So the archive idea came because I really wanted the world to see this. I wanted it to be the collective voice of Iraqis. War is traumatic for everybody involved. And when you have years, decades of war, what you end up with is generational trauma. I wonder about how that enduring trauma has impacted the way that Iraqis interact with the country, but also their memory or their understanding of what it means to be Iraqi. Through the conversations that I've had with Iraqis from the north to the south of Iraq, they kept on coming back to this thing of, we never documented what was going on to us at the time. We don't have records, especially during the 2003 invasion, when mobile phones and cameras, digital cameras, weren't readily, readily available for people. So there was this thing of um, trauma that lingers, trauma that is carried with you, and it resurfaces in very different ways. It sometimes resurfaces in PTSD, which we've seen it, you know, across the world um, uh, happening with people engaged in, in, in wars in Iraq and elsewhere, but also in collective creative outlet of that, where you see a burst of cultural um, uh, belongings and, and, and tendency to want to make change happen. As a black who has lived outside of the country as well, what does it mean to you to be Iraqi? It changes 
So um, I, I kind of remember when I first came out, there are some people who used to ask me the question. My answer was very different to what it is, what it is right now. I find it in the connections to um, the beautiful music, to the wonderful food that we have, to the language that is spoken from the gut with passion, um, to the, uh, the kind of the Iraqi humor that is retrieved and found and kind of emerges in your face in the darkest of times. I see myself in Iraqi right in the center of, of, of all of that. Um, so it is a tapestry. But I, I, I feel that this is always going to be in the making. It's, it's never going to have a form or an end to its making. And, and I love that about it. But there is certainly a yearning for um, a home that I kind of, it's always going to be a kind of a for me. And that was just part of Yasmin's conversation with Sana Murani. You can watch the full version and see more of Sana Murani's project online at pbs.org slash newshour. On the Not too soon enough. In the middle of the night, he threatened death and destruction over his likely. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. The arrest of Donald J. Trump. In the middle of the night, he threatened death and destruction over his likely. Sorry, folks. Technical. The technical difficulty, technical though, just and, 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 and you're so lights on, by the way, I'm Ben Micellis, you're so lights on that you were watching yourself on YouTube, huh? I wasn't watching myself, but it was in the background, so we're back with you, let's go back to the intro, nothing just happened, lights are on, and uh, speaking of technical difficulties, Donald Trump deleted that threat of death and destruction over his likely impending indictment by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, calling the post, um, doing this right after a just days of threats. He had called Alvin Bragg a degenerate psychopath after reposting a photo of himself holding a baseball bat next to a photo of Bragg. And just hours ago, we learned that the white, that white powder and a death threat addressed to Alvin was found at the DA's offices. 
Let us be clear, Donald Trump is a domestic terrorist. He is inviting and inciting violence. He is committing more crimes of, of obstruction in plain sight. This is the result of decades of impunity and it has to stop now. Speaking of obstruction, today Trump's lawyer Evan Corcoran testified for over three hours before a grand jury and special counsel Jack Smith's probe of the Trump Mar-a-Lago document scandal. This comes after the appeals process progressed at lightning speed earlier this week. The court sided with the DOJ, citing evidence of a criminal scheme and piercing Trump's attorney-client privilege with the crime fraud exception. Corcoran has also been ordered to turn, turn over his communications, notes, and audio recordings with Trump about the apparent mishandling of classified documents and obstruction of justice. And because being a lawyer for Trump makes you a criminal attorney one day and a witness to a crime the next, that same Evan Corcoran was in court this week fighting Jack Smith's subpoena for former Vice President Mike Pence. Corcoran claims that stale old executive privilege argument prohibits Pence from testifying to parts of Smith's investi investigation into January 6th. Meanwhile, the poor excuse for a Christian and wavering wannabe next president Mike Pence thinks he can bow out of this one because he was actually a, court, a senator. Who knew? Uh, I have a feeling Mike Pence will be following Evan Corcoran into that grand jury room before you know it. And in breaking developments, the number one key witness to Trump's attempts to overturn the election, former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, will likely be joining the procession of witnesses. A judge has rejected Trump's effort to bar the grand jury testimony of Meadows based on executive privilege and has also ordered that other top aides, including Stephen Miller and Dan Scavino, must provide testimony. Now, you, if you're watching this and know me, know that I know a thing or two about Trump's attempts to silence and intimidate and obstruct justice. And the Manhattan case is all about a non-disclosure agreement, which has gotten me thinking about my NDA battle, which of course I won, and how this pattern of intimidation is all connected. Don't let anyone tell you that gagging people to obtain or keep presidential power is a minor offense. This is no trivial matter. It's huge. So we're going to talk a lot more about that. And speaking of censorship, this is this is a story that I, I really can't wait to share with you. Um, but speaking of censorship, the fascist friendly GOP is in lockstep on everything with Trump. They want you to believe they're the champions of free speech, champions of freedom. But the truth is that they're trying to silence anything that exposes them. They're banning books at an alarming rate so they can whitewash the oppression of history and get away with it again. There is one brilliant young woman of 100 years calling them out in Florida, and you better believe I want to shine a light on her. Whew, got a lot. I'm so excited to be back with you. And um, my friend Midas Such founder, Ben Mycellus, you all inspired me so much after last week. So let's do it again. Let's turn the lights on. Well, it's good to be here, Jessica. I got my suit jacket on, which I will only do for the Jessica Denson Lights On show. The first episode was such a smashing success. I think the cumulative views and you know both the audio downloads and the views came very close to 200,000, which is a great inaugural episode. And when you put that in perspective, 
that is very similar to the types of ratings that you know some shows on CNN and MSNBC and Fox are getting, and it's certainly far uh, greater share of audience than some of these other right-wing echo chamber uh, media is getting, like uh, Newsmax and, uh, and whatever these other uh, entities are. And I want to say this too. Now, I don't know if you've been following this, uh, but you know, Directv brought back Newsmax on their on their network of their device and when they did this they said that it was uh, this is a direct quote from them part of their promotion of the diversity of viewpoints and i want to say this as we talk about disinformation look newsmax is purely injecting disinformation into the veins of its viewers and not only that but it's not even doing it successfully i mean it has very low viewership it's not profitable but here you see just an example of what happens when the republicans are truly weaponizing government because the house of representatives th threatened direct tv now direct tv is using diversity of viewpoints as the reason of bringing newsmax back and why i bring that up at the top of the show is when i think about lights on when I think about transparency, when I think about everything that you do here at the Midas Touch Network and in your life outside of the Midas Touch Network, it is about bringing light to these situations, which is the antidote to those disinformation echo chambers. So that's my spiel at the beginning, and it is an honor to co-host this with you. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks so much, Ben, for coming back with me. Um, let's just get right into this. I mean, this this has really kind of infuriated me all over again. The notion that Donald Trump is a free man, I can't, I think we can't ever cease to forget how obscene this is, that this man is not already, has not already been arrested or prosecuted for one of his litany of crimes because of this impunity. He's out with these threats. We were talking about this baseball that uh, photograph, Salty, if you can put it up again, that this man is clearly inciting violence. I think we found out just before we came on air that he has now deleted this. And I was mentioning to you, Brett, or Ben and Salty, how this feels like feels like January 6th all over again, inciting violence, and he's going to pull it back and try to, um, you know, maybe cover a little of his tracks because we're already into a discussion today of how this may be yet another crime. He's threatened overnight death and destruction, calling calling Alvin Bragg a degenerate psychopath that truly hates the USA. Let's be clear, those enforcing the rule of law and holding repeat criminal offenders like Donald Trump accountable for their crimes love the USA. It's a, justice is an, a labor of love. And I can say that as one who has pursued justice. It is absolutely a labor of love. So how dare he call out these prosecutors that are, that are taking these brave and needed steps finally as people that hate the United States. Um, the, the real hatred here is Donald Trump's hatred for himself. And he's going to have the greatest gift that none of his so-called friends or sycophants have ever been willing to give him when a criminal indictment finally comes down against him. So he can finally face the truth and learn a little bit, a little bit about who he is. This will be an act of love even to Donald Trump. So how dare he cast it as hatred. This is healing and peace, like I have said so many times. But speaking of the threats, um, Ben, I'd love to get your opinion on this. I, I know that um, Midas Touch tweeted this earlier, and Karen has Karen Friedman, uh, former 
Manhattan DA second in command there has been talking about how he may have incite, uh, committed another crime because he is obstructing this prosecutorial proceeding. I think that um, you referenced obstructing governmental administration, which is, um, is this in the state penal then? Correct. And so Karen and I had a debate. I would much more uh, readily trust Karen's expertise here over my own and the New York penal law. Uh, but I think that it's fair to say that there could have been multiple criminal violations here that took place. The one that Karen is citing, inciting a riot, New York Penal Law 240.08, which says a person is guilty of inciting to riot when he urges 10 or more persons to engage in tumultuous and violent conduct of a kind likely to create public alarm. And then the law that I cited, which I thought is also in play, and even though Karen thinks that she would charge it um, as an inciting to riot first, I still think that I could be right here on obstructing governmental administration in the second degree. So New York doesn't have an obstruction of justice statute. They have what's called obstructing governmental administration in the second degree. And just let me read for you what it says, because to me, it's directly on point. It says the specified... Play that clip. governmental administration in the second degree. Under our law, a person is guilty of obstructing governmental administration in the second degree when that person intentionally obstructs, impairs, or perverts the administration of law or other government function or prevents to prevents or attempts to prevent a public servant from performing an official function. You don't actually have to succeed in preventing the public servant from performing uh, that function, just the act and attempt to, is enough under that penal law statute, section 195.05. And then one of the appropriate alternatives, one of the ways that could be brought about is by means of intimidation, physical force, or interference, or by means of any independently unlawful act. And um, Jessica, we go through uh, the summary that you just gave. And one of the things that Donald Trump said in his post is, why should we be peaceful? Um, he called Alvin Bragg scum. He called Alvin Bragg an animal. Um, he called for death and destruction. He posted a photo of himself with a baseball bat, depicting himself clubbing Alvin Bragg. He said that the people are not going to take it anymore. He called Alvin Bragg a degenerate psychopath. To me, you add all of those elements together. Public safety. And if I'm giving the closing argument to the jury, the way I just presented it to you right now, you hit every single element. And look, 
I, I don't think this is the reason why the grand jury uh, went into next week. I just think that they just needed to go into next week because of the preparations that are going to be needed. And I think that's it. I think it's a fairly simple explanation, and I do think he gets criminally indicted next week. Um, but I do wonder if some of these independent uh, or additional crimes will be charged because it seems to perfectly fit. disgusting and criminal conduct that Trump's engaged in. It's all a pattern, isn't it? Isn't I, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking if we, <laughs> if we ever, God help us, have a, have a Trump presidential library, I think they should just call it the obstruction of justice library. Pretty much defines this whole man, this man's entire life, his presidency. Um, it, it's, it's going on and on. I remember walking, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but I remember walking past uh, Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy um, on Capitol Hill. I was there at the Mueller hearing. And of course, the Mueller investigation was all about obstruction of justice and Trump's continued threats against witnesses, his, his, his interference into that probe. And um, Raja Krishnamurthy had um, spoken about my case that I brought about these non-disclosure agreements, which again, are, were, are attempts to silence and intimidate. And um, he had brought it up during Michael Cohen's congressional hearing and said, do you recognize these NDAs? Do you agree that they're, they're used to keep people from coming forward? And Michael said, yes. And I told <laughs> Congressman Krishnamurthy in the halls of Congress, I said, it's all the same. We're all dealing with this obstruction of justice from Trump. I mean, it seems like there are these individual situations, but that's what this is. It's it's a criminal who's con, uh, engaging in more obstruction upon obstruction upon obstruction to keep himself from being held accountable. This has to end. These are the consequences of impunity. So I hope, I hope if there is a crime to be brought, just like with all of them, we want we want the charges brought not because we hate Trump, not because he's our political enemy, but because he has committed crimes, <laughs> because there's supposed to be equal justice under the law. So if Trump has has committed additional crimes by these threats, then let the appropriate charges follow. Um, there's nothing about it. Look, one of the things one of the things though that's so unprecedented about this modern moment, though is that during the, the Nixon moment, there was still some objective reality, right, that engaging in the conduct that Nixon engaged in was bad, right? And we're living in this kind of post-truth Republican MAGA party where they look at the conduct that Trump is engaged in, and not only are they... Um, uh, not saying anything to stop it they are supportive of it you know or, or or they're just cowardly i don't know if you saw this bit so jim jordan was asked about donald trump's statement by a reporter uh, earlier in the day about the death and destruction um and jim jordan said i, I haven't read it I, I haven't read it so the reporter says let me show it to you and the reporter puts up his phone and uh, shows jim jordan the statement and then jim jordan goes I can't see I can't. it. I need, <laughs> I need glasses. I need to wear glasses. Uh, and disgusting. then the reporter's like, let me read it for you. And then when the reporter then read it for Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan said, look, I'm just too busy 
responding to the letter we the letter we received from Alvin Bragg, and and that just kind of defines who the MAGA Republican Party is. Hey, I want to ask you one question though, Jessica, as well. Speaking of this MAGA Republican Party, though, I don't know if you saw this, but the MAGA Republicans today sent a congressional delegation into the January 6th wing of the D.C. jail. So they use the House of Representatives congressional delegation, which is so prestigious, right? We think about congressional delegations going to you know, visit our allies and to promote democracy and, and talk about our shared values. Their first big congressional delegation was sent to the D.C. jail. To Then they brought the January 6th insurrectionists in to an open room. And according to the Democrats who were there, the MAGA Republicans were like high-fiving them and treating them like they were heroes and celebrities. You don't get much more disgusting. It's disgusting. And you think about that in the context of, first of all, they're, they're doing all of these performative acts just to score political points, right? They don't really believe that the January 6th defendants have not committed crimes. They know that they trespassed into a federal building, uh, committed, um, you know, vandalism, whatever they're charged with. These are, these are actual crimes that if you commit them anywhere in this country, you will be charged. There is nothing unique about the charges or politically driven about the charges against these January defendants and Jim Jordan and Andy Biggs and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and all of these clowns know that. They know it for a fact. And you better believe that if somebody on the left, somebody maybe at a social justice rally or, um, you know, protesting the unlawful killing of a black man was uh, charged with um, vandalizing a federal building or entering without um, trespassing, that they wouldn't be showing up at their prison. It's calling them political prisoners. And that's what makes me so sick that First of all, that they're using these individuals who really are victims of Donald Trump. That's the why. That's why they're in prison because Donald Trump has converted them into criminals to do his bidding to take the heat for him. And on on the other hand, you have so much injustice in this country from people who really have. Um, you know, been victims of maybe where our cr criminal justice system has failed, people who have been wrongly, wrongfully convicted, people who have been put to death for crimes that they didn't commit, people who have, I think of a young man in New York who committed suicide in a jail just waiting for a charge. And you think of all of these heinous instances of, of injustice where our system has failed and the failure of due process, which let's be clear, all of these January 6th defendants are getting. They are getting their due process. They are not being treated like any political prisoners. I'll remind you of Vladimir Karamurza, who, who survived two poisoning attempts and is sitting in a, in a Russian prison along with Alexei Navalny and so many others. Those are political prisoners. Once again, let's make the distinction. But to, to use this for a show, to score political points, it's so, so disgusting when we, it's all, it's all just to protect their dear leader and to not let the people just see the truth that this is the exercise of the rule of law it happens to the, be the people on their side do they distance themselves from them do they condemn them no they continue to use them to just amass and retain more political power and incite more terrorism it's absolutely despicable
couldn't agree more with you, uh, Jessica. And, and that's why we, though, we need our government. We need uh, the people in power uh, to continue down this path to pursue the ends of justice as as difficult as, as that may be. You know, these threats, these intimidate, I mean, it, it, it has real world consequences. I mean, today um, in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, there have been multiple death threats, including uh, a death threat where a letter was sent to Alvin Bragg saying, um, I'm going to kill you, Alvin, with a white powder substance that was uh, contained uh, in the letter. Fortunately, it turned out to be harmless. And that's in addition to there was several bomb threats that were made at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, as well as in the uh, courthouse, um, which was traced to Russian IP addresses as well, some of those bomb threats. And so when Donald Trump is making this call, when he is sounding uh, you know, these threats to his cult followers, they, they are listening the same way they were listening during the January 6th insurrection. And, you know, one point I'd make there as well um, is that you know, federal judge in, in New York, uh, Judge Lewis Kaplan, uh, for this reason, in the E. Jean Carroll uh, defamation and civil rape case, which is set to go to trial on April 25th, this federal judge has ordered an anonymous jury. Now, normally an anonymous jury is reserved in the most rare circumstances when we're talking about like cartel leaders, like in El Chapo's trial, right? And here, Judge Kaplan is treating Donald Trump like El Chapo and saying that, and, he, and wrote in the order that Donald Trump has been known to threaten judges, prosecutors, and jurors, and has been engaged in the conduct of late. And so the judge ordered an anonymous jury, which is so rare, essentially treating Donald Trump like the uh, mafia cartel leader uh, that he is. And I do this. There's been a lot of great updates this week, too, though. And I want to hear from you on the Jack Smith great updates as well. But, you know, even great updates like Donald Trump tried to delay the trial um uh, the civil uh, fraud trial by Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, that's set to go to trial October 2nd, 2023. And there, the New York Attorney General, she's seeking at least $250 million in damages against Donald Trump and his adult children. Trump tried to delay that for six months, and Justice Arthur and Goron said, absolutely not. It's etched in stone. You're going to trial on this date. And so all of this is happening everywhere, all at once. But we'd love to hear from you about Special Counsel Jack Smith and some of the great updates there. Yeah, why don't we talk about um, Evan Corcoran, right? Uh, Donald Trump's attorney who was was before the grand jury today as a result of being ordered to testify. This is, of course, piercing the um, attorney-client privilege with the crime fraud exception. Chief Judge Beryl Howell, who's the outgoing chief judge in, in the U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C., found sufficient evidence, quote, sufficient evidence that Trump, quote, intentionally concealed uh, additional classified documents from Corcoran um, regarding that June uh, 22 affidavit, and she described it as a criminal scheme. So this is this is extremely significant that Evan Corcoran was before the grand jury today. Um, I know that prosecutors were especially interested in a phone call that happened on June 24th. 
2022 between Corcoran and Trump. This is around the time when investigators were seeking more documents and the surveillance tapes from Mar-a-Lago. So um, this is this this you were following it, I'm sure, Ben, but you know, this progressed at lightning speed this week. I think there was a there was a deadline that um, something had to be filed by midnight by Trump's team. And Jack Smith's team had to respond by 6 a.m. They had to pull an all-nighter to respond by this. And the result was that- I, I hadn't seen the Court of Appeals move that quickly ever. So something big is going on. So at the end of last week, Federal Judge Beryl Howell ruled that the crime fraud exception applied. Thus, Evan Corcoran could not claim the attorney-client privilege regarding his communications with Donald Trump about Trump's efforts to obstruct justice when Trump stole these thousands of records that he concealed at Mar-a-Lago. So then Donald Trump, middle of the week, appealed that to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals said, we want to, we'll, we'll listen to your briefing, but we got to brief this in 12 hours. Listen to the briefing in 12 hours, immediately rejected Donald Trump's uh, appeal, affirmed Judge Beryl Howell's ruling. And that's why on Friday, Edwin Corcoran and another lawyer named Jennifer Little yes. were going to have to testify before the grand jury, not only testify, but also turn over notes, written communications, and oh, the yeah. that's, that's big. Yeah, it's huge, huge. And this Jennifer Little, Jennifer Little apparently is um, represents Trump in the Fulton County probe. I don't think it's entirely clear how she got tied up in the Mar-a-Lago case, but um, yeah, make attorneys get attorneys, right? Trump attorneys testifying to Trump's criminality. And, and they're not the only ones. I, I'm sure you heard about this too, Ben. Um, Jack Smith not only fighting to bring Evan Corcoran in to testify, but arguing, Jack Smith's lawyers arguing against Evan Corcoran, who is trying to invoke, once again, executive privilege to block Vice President, ex-Vice President Mike Pence's testimony. Um, of, of course, Pence has his own, has conjured up his own dubious argument that uh, the speech and debate clause prohibits him from having to testify because he was a senator. So um, so that fight played out in court this week, too. I think a lot of um, uh, legal speculators have, have acknowledged that he may very well lose this fight and end up having to testify before the grand jury. Do you remember, uh, Ben, from the January 6th hearings, Judge Ludig? The conservative Judge Ludwig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a Judge Ludwig is a real conservative who yeah. MAGA Republicans will now call a rhino. But I, I definitely remember that moment. Which part? Oh my God. Well, I just love the man so much. He was he was kind of mocked a little bit for speaking slowly. I think he was recovering from something, but I think Judge Ludwig is an absolute legend. And as this this was playing out this week with Mike Pence, I was reminded of um, an op-ed that, that Judge Ludwig wrote when when uh, Mike Pence started to raise these dubious arguments. I was going to read a portion of it just because I think it, it, it gets right to the heart of the matter. He said, to be clear, Mr. Pence's decision to brand the Department of Justice's perfectly legitimate subpoena as unconstitutional is a far cry from the constitutionally hallowed ground on which he stood on January 6th. Injecting campaign-style politics into the criminal investigatory process with his rhetorical characterization of Mr. Smith's subpoena as a, quote, 
Biden DOJ subpoena. Mr. Pence is trying to speak to voters who want to see President Biden unseated in 2024. Well enough. That's what politicians do. But Jack Smith's subpoena was neither politically motivated nor designed to strengthen President Biden's political hand in 2024. Thus, the jarring dissonance between the subpoena and Mr. Pence's characterization of it. It is Mr. Pence who has chosen to politicize the subpoena, not the DOJ. And of course, you can probably apply that logic to everything that is going on. It is the Republicans, it is Trump, his acolytes, his sycophants who have politicized this process, not the rule of law playing out. That is not the political but Jessica, it's, so str- it's, it's, it's such a great point. It's so strange, too, that like you would think that we all as Americans can look at something like the insurrection. Bueno, 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 bueno. Hola, ¿cómo está? Muy bien, gracias. Gracias a usted. Independent, not affiliated with any political party. And say, that is bad. Same thing when it comes to a global pandemic. I mean, whether you are a Democrat, whether you are a Republican, independent, not affiliated with the political party, we could look at a pandemic a deadly, deadly pandemic where we see the death it wreaks and we can go bad. Yet it's not Democrats who are politicizing. And I'm sorry, it's not a both sides issue. It is MAGA Republicans who are looking at things. By the way, free and fair elections. MAGA Republicans don't believe in that. They got to come up with a conspiracy theory that secret algorithms are beamed from underground bunkers to outer space, that Hugo Chavez bodies resurrected, and somehow that changes votes from Dominion so that Biden wins. I mean, we should look at these objective realities. Pandemics are bad. Insurrections are bad. We believe in free and fair elections, yet you have MAGA Republicans on all of these issues taking the lights off approach to it and really proving that it is a death cult. Not only only that they're bad, but that that they're issues that we should be working together to resolve. And when you look at something like COVID, this is, I remember we had that, I remember when COVID started, there was like a week or two of this deep collective introspection. Maybe it wasn't even a week or two. Maybe I'm giving it much more time than it actually lasted. But it, to me, it was it was a time where we really need to think, we needed to think about how we were treating each other, how we were treating the environment, the animals. I mean, I'm an animal lover. I happen to think it's much more likely that this was a result. It's possible that it came from Wuhan, but I think it's much more likely that it came from that Wuhan um, meat market. And and it just all goes to how we're treating each other, treating the world that we live in. This was such an opportunity for introspection and empathy and what realizing that how we treat one another can have massive impact on our global collective well-being and instead of taking that moment of reflection the republicans pounced on it criticized it donald trump got into the um 
what what were the uh, he got into the medical machinery business with Jared Kushner. He was trying to you know auction off who to the greatest bidder medical supplies in the midst of this crisis. It was so disgusting. And then he had his daily Trump show briefing. It was like Apprentice 2.0, the daily briefings for COVID. It, it, these were opportunities. All those things that you're describing, even you know the domestic terrorism. Look back to 9/11, when we had terrorism, this this threat of terrorism how the country united. This should be a, a point where the country unites, like that tiny brief moment of clarity that even people like Kevin McCarthy had after January 6th. The fact that they moved from that point is insane. It's insane that they have tried to contort themselves into political pretzels to defend this man and continue down this narrative. These should be points of unity. And you know, I think back then to when to when I was on that side of, of politics and when I listened to the Fox News of the world. And they would always make you feel like the Democrats who were telling you other narratives, which I would argue now were usually the truthful ones, usually the factually supported ones, that those Democrats were against you. They're, they're your enemies. When in fact, those Democrats' narratives were really just trying to help you. They're just trying to help you. They're not against you. And I think about that now. I think about, um, you know, when I share with others, try to kind of help some people that where I see a window of opportunity to, to help people out of the Fox News bubble if I meet people like this in, in, in my experience now, to understand we're, we're not against you. They're using you. They're against you. This is, this is, they're trying to pit us against each other, but we really all want the same things. We really all just want health and prosperity and freedom we're, we're all after the same objectives and the ones that are trying to to pitch you against each other they're the enemies realize that they're the dividers that's why that uh, cliche divide and conquer this is this is the mo of people who just want power and do not want to bring about greater good jessica what was the moment for you we're going a little off script here, but lights on, we can go off script because I think it is helpful for a lot of people to know, you know, your background and through these podcasts, you know, I think little by little people will also get to learn a lot about you and what an incredible person you are if they haven't already heard some of the podcasts that we've done where we, where we featured your story. But you, you were a Republican. You did work for the Trump campaign for a very short period of time leading up to the 2016. You got out of it very quickly, but you were stuck in the Fox bubble. And what was so interesting when I first met you, too, is that we learned that we have, you and I have so much in common that you and I never realized. We both went to George Washington University together. We were both at a lot of the same events together and probably saw each other, but just never even said hello to each other. But we, were we may have in, looked quite different at the time. We might not <laughs> even known if we saw each other, right? <laughs> but we went to, yeah, we went to the same college. We graduated the same year together. Um, and then we all, we both kind of took different paths. Um, and then ultimately, though, one of the paths led you into the Fox bubble, um, but you had a realization. So, can you maybe let our listeners and viewers know, though, as well, like, is there a moment or moments where you were just like, I dare lie to you. Where was your eureka moment? I'm just curious. 
were, there, were, there were like huge eureka moments and there were little like you know pebbles dropping in the pond making those ripples go um i i there was definitely the eureka moment of of having the moral clarity of 2017 but that it's so interesting because that was a, a moment of clarity about all of the gaslighting and terrorism I had experienced in the campaign and that it wasn't my fault that I actually had the um, had the authority and I was in a position where I should challenge it legally. But it did not click that Donald Trump, this is his MO, this is the Republicans' MO, until I saw more and more of the administration. Um, you know, I've talked about this before. It probably started on day four with the Muslim ban because it was such a heinous, um, hateful and, and destructive act that he took. And I had thought, of course, we all heard that he campaign. Some of the viewers might know I was engaged in diversity engagement. I was about bringing people under, um, you know, bringing more people into the fold and amplifying the diverse support. For so that was one of the things where I shut down my better angels. I didn't want to believe that he would actually do something so heinous as ban an entire religion or countries, you know, representing that religion from entering the United States, divide families, and just the amount of pain and suffering that was caused by that. I made myself believe that that was a campaign shtick, and I did, I did. I would be lying if I, if I didn't admit this. I had an end-justified means attitude when I supported Trump because they so demonized the Democrats, they so demonized Hillary Clinton that I thought, you know what, these people are so dangerous, they're going to strip all our rights away, they're criminals, Hillary's a criminal because of her email, right? And and I they were so, so demonized in my mind that I thought okay even even like you know, I've, I've talked about abortion on this platform before I've always been pro-choice even though I'm I was Republican I've always been pro-choice so when even when I saw him going really far down the abortion rabbit hole I had an ends justify the means perspective about supporting him so that we prevented these much more dangerous people from taking power. Now, as I witnessed, after I sued the, the Trump campaign, after I had that personal moral awakening, just to the behavior, not connecting it politically, just to the when I witnessed the, the actions of the Trump campaign, the, the Muslim ban, the firing of James Comey where he couldn't even fly back on a plane from California, the treatment of people like, um, like Peter Strzok and um, blanket on his name, your help me, the man who was denied his pension, um, who was uh, in the FBI starts with an A. Maybe the chat can help me out here. But he's he's very active. Um, he was part of, he was a member of the FBI. Um, just the famous, famous way that, uh, that um, 
were treated. And I went into that campaign delu delusional and ignorant, but with a spirit of public service. And I saw other people with a spirit of public service just trying to do their jobs. Andrew McCabe, thank you, chat. <laughs> Andrew McCabe. Other people just trying to do their jobs absolutely destroyed. Their lives destroyed, their families threatened. It's right back to what we're talking about today, Ben. This is disgusting. This intimidation, oppression, and obstruction has to stop. So I saw this pattern and I was like, oh my God, it, it was Trump all along. You know, I had given him a pass because I had personal interactions with Donald Trump where he was, and I've said this before too, where I took it as kindness. It was actually, he said some very misogynistic things to me, but I took it as kindness at the time because I was being treated so heinously by other staffers, senior level staffers in that campaign. And so I was reluctant to blame Donald Trump the man. But then with all of these other disgusting experiences, disgusting treatment of public servants, Marie Ivanovich, for God's sakes, she's going to go through some things. Do you know, Ben, how much that resonated with me after what I had experienced on the Trump campaign? She's going to go through some things. You better believe that was the attitude of the people who were terrorizing me on the Trump campaign to Jessica Benson. So um, I saw all of this and I realized this is the MO of this man who has been a malignant narcissist his whole life, who has been abusing people his whole life, terrorizing innocent people. I educated myself about things like the Central Park Five. I mean, I, I tell myself, and I want to believe this, that had I known about the existence of something so heinous as this, as Donald Trump calling for the, the prosecution of these innocent young men, one of them who was charged as an adult, but was a juvenile and nearly was beaten to death in prison. <laughs> I, mean, I had known about these heinous, heinous things that Donald Trump did. I could have never supported him. So all of the pieces kind of just came together for me. And um, I think it was by 2018, but it was really, it was crumbs, it was crumbs and making the connections and then realizing how I've been lied to. And as I'm fighting this NDA and I'm learning all of these things, this NDA, that we, we really believe that this is kind of a boilerplate um, non-disclosure agreement that Trump used for years, the one that I fought. And I realized this, these are the kind of tactics that he used for decades to keep people like me who believed that he was such a different person from knowing the truth about him. Why? Because the people with the truth were silenced, were intimidated, were gagged for life. So um, that's just a little bit into the insight. <laughs> no, I think it's really great to hear that insight. And it goes along a lot with our philosophy here at the Midas Touch Network, because you know when I'm trying to convince somebody who is in MAGA Republican echo chamber land of hey, there is this pro-democracy community out there. It is not an effective tactic if I basically say, you know, Donald Trump's a deranged fascist and you are part of a cult. I, I don't do that. Um, very frequently, the way I will get attacked by people who are, you know, MAGA Republicans is they'll say things like, you know, you're just a libtard and you're a Hillary Clinton, you know, you're a Biden, blah, blah, blah. You're a communist and all of those things. And I never take the bait to then try to make it about 
a personality in those discussions. What I've found is when I just try to speak towards kind of core common values, I'm never going to convince somebody in that first conversation. It just, it's not the way it's going to work. They can't be uh, getting a diet of disinformation from Fox their entire life, and then in 30 seconds, I'm going to say something or even send them a video, and they're going to go, you know what? I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I'm a Democrat. That's just not the way human nature actually works. So what I try to do is I let them say whatever they want to say, but then I try to focus it on issues, and I know our issues being supported in the pro-democracy community, which are being either utterly ignored or that they are working against it in the name of Republicans, and I just speak to the ideas. So I talk about democracy, I talk about jobs, I talk about healthcare, I talk about the climate, I talk about education, 